As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to the very first full episode of our brand new show from Premier Unbelievable. It's bold, it's brassy, it's unapologetic. A weekly catch-up with Christian thinkers, theologians and evangelists helping you, as our funky new bumper said, to understand, defend and share your faith with confidence. I'm Justin Briley, apologetics and theology editor for Premier Unbelievable. And on this show, we'll be profiling about one guest per month across a few weekly themed episodes. And as we launch, that guest is Glenn Scrivener of Speak Life, talking today on how Christianity birthed modern values and a great book he's got out on it too. Now, Glenn is a regular guest on our other podcast, Unbelievable, and a key note speaker at our unbelievable conference this year if you want more from the show why not grab our newsletter over at premierunbelievable.com which right now will also bag you a free ebook and bonus content too the links are with today's show as well as more about glenn really hope you enjoyed this new show and just before we get into it and this is really important new podcasts have a very limited window in which to really make an early impact in the podcast world it really helps if you can leave a rating and a review on these early shows it makes a huge difference do share it around as well big it up send it on please 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 though do rate and review and share we would love unapologetic to start with a real bang thank you so much right now on with the show Today, I'm really pleased to be joined over the next series of episodes by Glenn Scrivener. Um, Glenn is the author of a number of books. Uh, He's also the director of Speak Life. Uh, His latest book, though, is called The Air We Breathe, and it makes the case for why all kinds of values in Western society, equality, freedom, progress, dignity, actually have their roots in the Christian revolution. So welcome along to the show, Glenn. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, though, because uh, we don't always get time to hear your story. Um, what, what's your background? I know you don't originate originally from the UK. So, so, so how do things begin for you? Right. Yes. I I don't speak with an accent because I'm Australian. So that's a bit confusing for people. Although Australians think I sound like a pom and the English think I sound like a convict. So it's the worst of all worlds. I uh, live on the south coast of England in a place called Eastbourne with my wife, uh, Emma, and our daughter, Ruby, our son, JJ. And uh, yeah, I'm a Church of England minister, but my day job is to go around the country and shoot my mouth off about Jesus or to make videos and uh, reach out online with the good news of Jesus. Have you ever sort of run into doubts and, you know, scepticism that caused you to question your faith as you were growing up or, or at any point, really? 
Yeah, I I think um, I grew up with um, a church going home, but uh, having sort of given my life to Jesus a thousand times in my teenage years, I kind of concluded that God didn't want me um, because there was I bravely offering myself to the Almighty and, and wasn't seeming to receive anything back. And so went away from home aged 18 try to trying to have as good a time as I could without God and uh and really spent my entire sort of university um career basically chasing after uh cricket and comedy and student radio and girls and I tried to squeeze in a degree as well uh in which I was studying about uh, politics philosophy and economics that was sort of my degree and and really interested in the big ideas, and none of that seemed to have very much to do with Jesus Christ at that stage. Um, And yet it was at the end of university, really, that somebody, actually, they put a book into my hand uh, by a a theologian called Colin Gunton, and uh, he wrote a book called The One, The Three, and The Many, and it was kind of about the development of Western philosophy from really like the pre-Socratic philosophers all the way to the modern day and it was basically saying that the 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 struggle in the intellectual framework of the west was between the one and the many and yet with the triune god we have a unique solution to the struggle between um, oneness and particularity and manyness and actually at the end of reading that book I, i kind of it it got so much in tune with where I'd come to emotionally, which was that I felt like love was the answer, you know, in a very kind of hippie sort of sense. And yet I was reading sort of theologically and philosophically that if this Christian stuff was true, love really was the answer. And that was a real meeting of heart and mind, aged about 21, 22. And at the same time, I was going back to church and opening up the Gospels. And I remember, remember getting halfway through Luke's Gospel and just seeing Jesus as this compelling person who I just thought, if God's like him, I'm in. And so everything kind of came together for me around age 21, 22. But there were, there were certainly many doubts before then. You've obviously done a lot since then with Speak Life, with the books you've written, the videos you've produced, just helping other people to kind of engage that story. Um, And I think you do it in such a helpful, creative way. Um, I I really love the videos you guys produce. Um, The book you've written is amazing too. I was very glad to to endorse it because when I read it, I just thought this is such a helpful way of sketching out the ways that so many of the values we take for granted and that you know, humanist skeptics would say, yes, of course, I believe in equality and value and dignity and everything else. The way in which actually those don't come out of a vacuum, that actually there's a very specific contingent cultural reason why we believe in those values today in the West, at least. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you know, the book itself uh, before we launch into today's particular value, which is we're going to start with equality. I think I I just got fascinated by... um the particular way we see the world and just how different it is from pre-Christian and non-Christian cultures. And one person who really opened my eyes to that was Nietzsche, studied a little bit of Nietzsche at, at university. And I think at university, I was thinking he's a bit of a rock star, this Nietzsche. And he, there was a glamour to what he was saying. And many of the things he was saying were was that... Pity is a poison 
that has been kind of, that has sort of infected the world, and it's Christianity that has unleashed this this horrible um, universal acid that has burnt through everything good, and for for Nietzsche, the, the ancient world with its cruelty um, was not to be um, was not to be thought of as um, sub-ethical because it was cruel, but was to be thought of as um, really embodying the highest humanitarian ideals. And he, he would say, you know, the kindest thing you can do for humanity is let the weak perish so that the strongest can become the, the overmen. And so he, he kind of first got me thinking that Christianity is unique when I think we tend to think that the, the the values that Christianity has given to the world are obvious and natural and universal, and just pulling at that thread got me to um, read a bunch of different historical works. So Larry Seidentop's uh, book, uh, Inventing the Individual, really helped me to see what the classical world was really like, and it was a terrifying world of real hierarchy. Um, in which those at the bottom of the pile not only could be crushed, but should be crushed. And it was really kind of pulling at that thread that made me see something has changed to make us think that compassion and equality are obvious values when they are the least obvious values to a Plato or an Aristotle. And so my book just tries to trace that through, and it, it takes you from the ancient world and and through to the modern world, and in seven values, I, I demonstrate that there are these unique um, moral intuitions that we have now. There is equality, compassion, consent, uh, enlightenment, science, freedom, and progress. And while we might think that these are uni- universal and obvious, um, they are nothing of the sort. They, they are a unique gift that uh, the, the Jesus revolution has given to us. Let's start with equality then, and we're going to go over a, a few of these over the next few episodes of the show. But um, equality, yeah, again, uh, you know, a typical skeptic humanist might say, well, look, of course, you know, we're, we're you know, as Stephen Pinker put it on my show once, um, we're all made from the same stuff. Science has shown us that, you know, we're all one with our DNA, you know, um, uh, and that's why we believe inequality that's why we believe that we should all be treated the same because science tells us that physically we're all the same what do you say to a Stephen Pinker because he obviously thinks equality flows out of what science and rationality tell us not nothing to do with Christianity Glenn well (laughs) I mean I I hate to go all Godwin um, this early in episode one (laughs) but um, you know it was once put to Goebbels that um, the Jew is also a human to which he answered the bat is also a mammal you know he's like okay you can you can affirm all sorts of things at the biological level what does that mean at the ethical level that that according to the nazis was totally up for grabs it was not obvious that um the fact that we share the same dna has has any kind of um moral significance to it or that binds me to any particular um morality so if if you go to a Plato or an Aristotle and you tell them that all humans have an absolute inviolable moral worth and equality, Plato or Aristotle would say, well, no, there are men and there are women. There are citizens and there are barbarians. There are masters and there are slaves. Um, 
there's the strong and there's the weak. There are those who are wise and there are those who are foolish. And and so if you take any two people and you judge them according to any one metric, what you will find are differences. What science will discover will be differences. Where does this magical thing called equality exist? Because if you said to Plato, look, he, this guy is stronger than this person, but they're equal. And he is... Um, of higher social standing, but they're equal. And he's more intelligent, but they're equal. And he's got more money, but they're equal. And he's more economically useful, but they're equal. Plato would say, you have, you have this strange belief in, in something I can't see, touch, taste, or feel. And at that point, his objections to your belief in equality sound like the atheist objections to God. And that's because they are actually related to one another. Um, to be able to look in the eyes of every single member of the human family and to see an inviolable worth and, and equality is to have been informed by a very particular vision of God. And it starts on page one of the Bible. All people, male and female, made in the image of God, made not to slave for the gods, which is what the ancient Near Eastern myths would say. Instead, we are placed to have dominion over the world. Um, and given this equality, and you take it through to the New Testament, and here comes Christ, our brother, who, though he is Lord, makes himself the slave of all and dies the slave's death, that he might rise up again and invite us into his family as brothers and sisters. Invite us into a family in which there are no lords except Christ, and everybody else is a brother or a sister. It is that story that Christianity has told the world over thousands of years that has birthed our, our view that actually the first way I, c I should conceive for myself is as a person who has a worth and dignity that is placed on me by somebody from outside the system. Um, and, and therefore, our, our beliefs in the individual and individual rights and, um, and human equality have absolutely come from a Christian framework. And sometimes the best place to see that is to go to non-Christians like Yuval Noah Harari, who will tell you, look, if you cut a human being open in, and, and you look within scientifically, you don't find human rights. Like, where, where are human rights found? Harari will say human rights are found in the stories that we have told, these made-up stories about gods and things. And in particular, the, the story that humans are made in the image of God and we have unique souls and it's that story that has given us a belief in equality. So then my challenge is, look, if you believe in equality, why don't you pull at that thread and figure out what's on the other end of that thread? Because on the other end of that thread is a good news story about a, a God who loves the whole human race and invites us all as brothers and sisters into his family. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. In the book, obviously, you, you sketch out the way that begins in the very first pages of the Bible. Um, God created humans in his image, male and female. He created them. That, that That's, if you like, where actually a lot of the idea of human dignity and equality come from in the very first place. How did the Christian revolution, as it were, send that global? Because that may have been something that the small sect of Jews believed for a long time right. and imperfectly you know obviously saw you know put into practice in in their day but how did um 
how did in a, in a pagan culture where it was just accepted that there were slaves and masters, that men dominated women and everything else, why did the Christian story uh, and the church in particular begin to change that? I think Celsus is, is a critic of Christianity from the second century, and he is every bit as spicy as Nietzsche was in the 19th century. But, but Celsus said um, there are two main errors to, to the Jews and the Christians, um, but they both amount to the same thing. Jews and Christians are far too anthropocentric, far too human-centered. Um, it's, just, it's worth meditating on that, especially as we tend to have a consensus nowadays that humanism is a good thing. I, I believe that humanism is a good thing. Where does it come from? Celsus said Jews and Christians share a radical error, which is to center their thinking on the human. Jews believe that God uniquely blesses humanity and makes humanity in his own image, Genesis chapter 1. Christians compound this error by saying that not only does God bless humans, God becomes human, which is the most profound grounding for humanism you could possibly have. Like, if you want to say man is the measure of all things... What you really need to say is that the measure of all things has become man and and that therefore God the human grounds our sense that the human person is connected to a value that is that is not dependent on my economic productivity, my strength, my intelligence, those sorts of things and so and and and, and you've got the story with God the human, the story of Christ, who absolutely descends to the lowest, to lift up the lowly and to blast the lofty. Um, There is a radical equalization going on in the ministry of Jesus. He He particularly seems to move towards those without. He moves towards the empty that he might fill them. And so it's, it's, yes, it's the Jewish story of in the image of God, but it is sort of turned up to 11 in Christianity because Christ is the image of God as man, and not simply as man, but as man who is dying for the worst of us, who is, it's, it's love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be, as the Crossman um, Easter hymn has it, um, such that Jesus really did descend to the bottom of the pile to die, die that slave's death. Therefore, there is dignity to be found in the very lowest of the low. I think it's, it's that story. And then the fact that Christianity um, is, is not ethnically centered in the way that Judaism had been. And so you don't have to keep kosher. You don't, you don't have to come in on the dietary laws. You don't have to do the circumcision thing. It's, it's not ethnically uh, centered in the Christian story, which means that this biblical um, belief and conviction can go global and burst the banks of Old Testament Israel. There is obviously that famous passage from Galatians. Now there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, for all are one in Christ. Um, now, to what extent was that the beginnings of, you know, I guess now people would say that they would just put Christ out of the picture. They wouldn't sort of include that if they're a, if they're a humanist and so on. To what extent was that kind of vision informing what we now call human dignity and equality? Um, and does it make a difference whether we say in Christ or we just say, mm. yeah, we don't need Jesus anymore? Hey, maybe Christianity kind of started the ball rolling. 
but we've kind of we've left behind the mystical element of it we're now just sort of you know happy that we've got the the equality and so on yes i think there's there's much leakage that happens when you go from christ to church and then from church to world over the centuries um the, the church has not always been very good at following our lord in in the values that he is is giving to us and so there is much leakage as we flow from christ to church and then there is a heck of a lot of leakage that happens when you flow from church to world over over the centuries but it did happen that there, there was this sense that um if the christian community by baptism if we are all brothers and sisters um then that is a that is just a, a radical questioning of all social hierarchies um it it should not be the abolition of all hierarchy there's 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 a goodness to hierarchy and, and there's some hierarchy taught in the bible but not a moral hier- hierarchy of of actual worth um but that sort of works itself out in the medieval period and and you get um a whole bunch of church lawyers who are meditating on the fact that oh if i have if i have money then i have an obligation to give to those without um and then all of a sudden they they started to think of the the flip side to 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 that moral obligation maybe it's not just that the rich have an obligation to give to the poor maybe the poor have a right to the provision and protection of the rich and suddenly we start having this language of rights that is developed and first of all it's developed in the realm of the church but then one of the gifts of medieval christendom to the world is parliaments and and it flows into politics and this this idea of rights and that everybody has rights starts to be taken for granted um in in a society and we've traveled a long distance from the ancient world in which there's this massive hierarchy of being what happens though when when we've trickled down and we've forgotten the jesus stuff and we've divorced it from the church stuff is i think we have a sense of equality as though i am equal to other members of the human race because i i am equally far up the same individual ladder and everybody's got an individual ladder and as long as everybody is equally high up the same ladder then we have equality i think we've traveled quite a distance from the galatians uh 3 uh verse that you gave justin that actually the the christian vision is that we are all equally welcome around the same table and i think there is a community in that unity um that is often missing from modern understandings of equality we have tipped into especially in the west we have tipped into um an individualism in which i by myself um and am first and foremost the possessor of rights um and that i have to you know be a certain distance up the up the social hierarchy um i think we've lost something we've lost quite a lot in the secularizing of the equality story and and part of it is responsible for the rampant individualism i think that we see in the west we're going to continue to explore some of the ideas from your book glen uh, in forthcoming editions of the show um but thank you very much for talking to me to today about the equality aspect of it and just a general introduction to the air we breathe um so we're looking forward to continuing the conversation next time but uh, until then uh, stay well and we'll see you next time 
thank you for listening to our very first unapologetic episode and do remember rate and review us on your podcast provider share it around too it'll really help our launch for now see you next time you've been listening to unapologetic for more shows resources and our newsletter visit premierunbelievable.com <laughs>